0: again Uh, and uh, thanks Mark and others Uh, uh, for those of you sitting over here that we've been encouraging for the last few weeks when this went out to move this way you not only did not move you recruited people to sit with you so the people have spoken there we go uh, we are grateful for those uh, guys that keep this stuff running so um well, good morning, I'm Kevin Shingleton, I'm one of the elders here, and we're going to be continuing our series in First Corinthians this morning, so if you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, hopefully your Bibles already fall open to 1 Corinthians at this point. And uh, if you remember, we're in a section of this letter where Paul is dealing with disorder in that church, specifically disorder when they come together to worship. And so we saw that for the last two weeks, and last week in the Lord's Supper, and we're going to continue that this morning with the spiritual gifts. And uh, I'm going to read uh, the entire chapter uh, as we begin this morning, and then uh, we'll pray for the Spirit's help to understand it. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another, working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these were empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would this be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed of the body, giving the greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts let's pray father we are encouraged by your word this morning and um, we're grateful that we can come to it and and deal with these in, these difficult questions that come up regarding the spiritual gifts and how much clarity you give us in this chapter regarding this and so we're grateful for that we ask that you would help, <clears throat> help us to understand it clearly and that we would be changed and encouraged and challenged by it, in the name of Jesus, amen. How many of you have heard the phrase unity and diversity? If, you've, if you're in the corporate world at all like I am, you've heard this, pra- this phrase quite often over the last uh, few decades. And whether you agree or not with uh, the context in which that phrase is used, the principle of that phrase is, is hard to argue. If you're putting together a team, you don't put together a team where everybody has the same skills and the same background and the same education and the same strengths and weaknesses and the same personalities and the same ways to solve problems. But you put a diversity of those things together, that can be very powerful, especially if it's united under strong leadership and a strong purpose. And you might think that that's simply a secular concept, but unity and diversity is a foundational principle of the Christian faith. Beginning with the Godhead itself, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the tri-unity of God, the diversity of three persons, three roles, and yet one God, one will, one purpose. We see unity and diversity in the scriptures. Is there a more diverse book that has ever been written than the Bible? written over thousands of years to many different audiences by many different writers in different languages and different genres. And yet what affirms the scriptures is that there's this beautiful unity from beginning to end, one story from beginning to end, right? Because there's one author, God redeeming his people back to himself. And so unity in diversity is a common principle in the church and we see it especially in the church, right? Look at this congregation We all come from different places, different family situations, different backgrounds. We're on different parts of our journey. We have different levels of spiritual maturity. We have different ages, we're in different life stages. And yet there's a beautiful unity in this congregation, right, because we all come under one purpose, to exalt Jesus, to edify and encourage each other and to engage the world with the gospel. And so unity and diversity is a, is a really important principle in the church and it's the emphasis of Paul's teaching on the gifts here in chapter 12. And so what we're going to do this morning, the main idea that we're going to see is this, God gives Christians diverse gifts to unify and serve the church to accomplish his purpose. And what we're going to do here, you've seen how important it is through all the, the, the lessons in First uh, Corinthians to understand the historical and cultural background. That will really help us understand why Paul is emphasizing the things that he is in this chapter. So we'll start with the background and then we'll look at this uh, theme of unity and diversity as we go through this text. So the things that we need to understand about the background, there's a couple things that are really important to understand here. The first is the Corinthian class system is becoming a problem. We saw this last week in the Lord's Supper where the higher class was separated from the lower class. And there's even a lower class called the slave class. And they were bringing this class mentality into the church and it was causing problems. The second thing that he says is that that you were pagans. They were bringing their pagan religious practices, the mentality of those, into the church. And there's a couple in particular that were important to understand The first is that if you would declare your allegiance to one of the many gods in Corinth, that God would become your Lord. And then as a sign of devotion to that God, you would ask that God to curse other gods or you would curse other gods as a sign of your devotion to your God. And that might inform some of the language that Paul is using here in the first few verses in his introduction to this chapter. The second thing that we see in their pagan practices is that it was not uncommon that if they devoted themselves to a god, they would seek to have an experience that they called religious ecstasy. And uh, Plato and other Greek philosophers called it divine frenzy or divine madness, where they would give themselves over to the spirit of this god, and in doing so, they would lose control of their body movements, and they would lose control of their speech and speak unintelligible things. And the the problem with that is what they believed was the more out of control they were, the more spiritual they were. And you can see how that would be a problem if you bring that into the church, especially if you're talking about something like the gift of tongues. And so this was becoming an issue in this church because the third thing is that this church is obsessed with the gift of tongues. And Paul mentions it over and over and over, and he's going to deal with it very specifically in chapter 14. So we will cover it generally today, but in chapter 14, we'll see how he deals with it very specifically because it's becoming a problem in this church. And all these things together then are bringing division, confusion, disorder in this congregation. And Paul is writing this chapter and the next three chapters to confront this. And so what we're going to see here this morning is Paul is actually going to lay out for us five different principles of how to discern if the gifts in the church are from the Spirit of God or not. That was his main concern with this church. He starts off by saying, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The word there is actually concerning the spiritual They were not able to discern or recognize in the church which things come from the Spirit and which things did not. And so that's Paul's emphasis here. And I think he's going to give us some principles uh, that apply to this church and that apply to us today uh, that are going to help us understand, regardless of what gift we're talking about, um, how do we know if it is from the Spirit or not? So this is very helpful for us even today in 2023. So the first thing that Paul is going to talk about yet here in his introduction is this very interesting phrase or sentence that he mentions in verse 3, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God is, says that Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there have been volumes written on this verse. And there are six different options that that Paul could be uh, talking about here as to why he wrote this in this way. And we're not going to spend the next 30 minutes talking about that, because in doing that, we would miss the very simple point that Paul is raising here, which is our first principle when it comes to the spiritual gifts. If you want to know if something is from the Spirit or not, ask this question Is Jesus being exalted or not? It's the first question, it applies to all of the spiritual gifts. It is a very useful question. Is Jesus being exalted or is something else being exalted? Or is the individual being exalted? Or is the gift itself being exalted? Very helpful question that we will go back to over and over as we talk about how do we know if something is from the Spirit or not. All right, so with that background in mind, what we're gonna do this morning is we are going to make two brief passes through this text. The first pass, we're going to emphasize the diversity of the gifts and why Paul talks about that so much. And then the second pass, we'll see why does Paul talk about the unity of the gifts so much. And, and along the way, we'll, we'll mention these principles, which we'll have up here in the upper right-hand corner. As we, as we go through these things, you'll see these principles come up clearly. And that's probably the most useful thing for us to take with us. So if you're taking notes, make note of those. So the diversity of the gifts, why is Paul emphasizing this so much? Well, in this church, they had raised one gift above all the others. And so Paul is emphasizing over and over and over. No, there are varieties of gifts. Look at verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God. He's saying there's a variety of all these things. And we could, again, talk about what's the difference between gifts and service and activities, but his point here is there's a diversity of all these things, regardless of how you categorize them. <clears throat> and so it's important for us to see this, that Paul says the diversity of the gifts are very important, church, to that church and to us, because the diversity of the gifts ensures in the church three different things. The first is this, it ensures that everyone has a gift to exercise, Now, that may not seem profound uh, here to us in 2023. That would have been profound to the early church, to that first century uh, Corinthian church, because apparently they were believing that, you know, the gifts only really for uh, the high-class people, and the lower-class people really didn't have gifts, or if they did, they really didn't matter. And Paul is laying out right from the beginning, no, every single one of us has a gift. If you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. And if if you are new to the idea of spiritual gifts, you may ask, well, what actually is a spiritual gift? Well, very simply, back to our, our main point, it is an ability that God empowers in every Christian to help us serve the church and exalt Jesus. And which may raise a couple more questions, right? Uh, well, do you know what your gift is? And most importantly, are you using your gift to serve This congregation. The word for gift here is very interesting. The root of the word gift is actually the word grace. It's literally grace gift, right? Which is very helpful to this church. You didn't get to pick your gift. You didn't deserve your gift. You can't take credit for your gift, right? And Paul is emphasizing, right, that these things should bring humility and not pride. And so it's important for us to see this. These are grace gifts given to the church and intended to be used, Imagine uh, last uh, Christmas morning, if you have kids at home, or you, if, even if your kids are gone, you can remember this well, that, that you know, it's Christmas morning, all the gifts are under the tree, and your kids come running down the stairs or running down the hallway, and they're jumping up and down, and they see the gifts, and they come over and say, you know, thank you, Mom and Dad, best day of my life, and then they turn around and go back to bed and don't open the gifts. Wouldn't that be like, you'd be ready to take them to the emergency room, right? Something is seriously wrong there because An unopened gift is a paradox, right? Wouldn't you have felt robbed that you didn't get the joy of seeing them opening that gift? Wouldn't you have felt uh, maybe a bit insulted? Well, if you really were grateful to the gift, you would have opened it. Because gifts were made to be opened and used. right? The the, the fair question, I guess, for all of us then, are are there any unopened gifts this morning? Because I can say with absolute confidence, we'll see this clearly in chapter 12, if each and every one of us is not using the gifts that God has given us to serve this congregation, then we are not as healthy and as cared for as we could be. We are not as as strong and as effective as we could be. We are not reaching as many people as we could be. Because each and every one of us is vital to this church and we're going to see this very clearly in chapter 12 so it ensures that everyone has a gift to exercise secondly it ensures the health and care of all in the body all in the body to, to the church in Corinth again this is pretty transformational not not just the higher class people all in the body are cared for. And, and we see this in verse 7 that all these things are for the common good. In verse 25 and 26, among many other places, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And he uses this the most relatable analogy that he could possibly use in, in using the analogy of the body. I'm looking around here, I'm confident that every single one of you has a body. And so you can understand this analogy, right? That your body has many parts, and every one of those parts is essential to the health and care of the body. And I think this language that he uses is is helpful for us when he talks about them being members of a body. I wonder if that would challenge the modern church's view of church membership. I think, Church membership in the modern church is basically like being a member of any organization, right? And, you know, I'm a member of Costco, right? I'm a member of, of, of some other organization or some other group. And, and yet, I think Paul's language here would challenge that, that, that membership in a church is much closer to members in a body than it is members in an organization. You see, I'm not vital to Costco, Right? I mean, if I don't go to Costco for a month and then I go in the door, I'm not met by a crowd of people saying, where have you been? Right? Now, when Polly goes to Kohl's, that's a little different. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm not vital uh, to Costco. But man, if, if, I don't, if, if I'm not serving here, man, something is missing. If you're not serving here, something is missing. The body is not as healthy and cared for as it could be. And so we need to take that to heart and rethink what it means to be a member of this congregation, and think of that as a member of the body that is vital and important. And I think we see here the second principle, and that the, the first principle being, is it of the Spirit or not? Is Jesus exalted? The second principle, is the church being built up or not? Is the church being served and encouraged or not, right? And, and listen, here's why this is very important in the context of gifts. In this Corinthian church, again, they were set up a hierarchy of gifts where certain gifts were higher and greater. And Paul even mentions that in, in verse 31, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And, and he's gonna, what, what Paul's going to do here, though, is he's going to redefine the word higher. Actually, it's the word greater. Because they had one sense of what they thought greater was, and they put certain gifts at the top of that list. Paul says, I'm going to redefine that for you, and he's going to do it specifically in chapter 14, so I'll speak about it generally because Toby will cover it in a couple weeks. He's gonna say in chapter 14, there's two gifts here, gift A and gift B. Gift A is greater than gift B, and here's my criteria, church. Gift A builds up the church, gift B is just for the individual. That's how Paul categorizes the gifts. The greater gifts are the ones, it's really the word larger, the greater gifts are the ones that have the most impact. That should be our desire, not to have a particular gift, but to use whatever gift I have to serve the church in as great a way as possible. And so it's important for us to see that. That's what he was emphasizing in this church. I still think it applies today. The third thing that the diversity of the gifts ensures is honor and humility for all in the body. It's a beautiful picture. Honor and humility. Because those things kind of seem opposite, right? Honor and humility. And yet Paul is dealing with a couple different things in this church specific to this. And he, in verses 7 through 10, uh, he reminds them that no one person has all the gifts. And in verse uh, 29 and 30, he reminds them that no one gift has been given to everybody. And so all of us are necessary. And so he's dealing with these two different um, scenarios in this church, these two different perspectives, that the, apparently the lower class people thought they were worthless to the church, and he, he deals with that in verses uh, 14 to 20, if, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, if the ear should say, I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, right? There's, there's no inferiority in the church. Nobody can come in here, if you're a member of this church, you can't walk in and say, oh, you don't really need me. That's not true. Every gift has honor because every gift comes from God. It's a divine gift and every gift has honor. Every one of us has honor in the body. Every one of us is important. There's no inferiority in the church. You can't say that you don't need me. But of course, he's also dealing with the other side. When he gets to verse 21 to 24, he says, the eye cannot say the hand, I have no need of you nor the head to the feet. I have no need of you. You can't come into the body and say, I got this gift, right? And so I don't need you, right? And so there's no inferiority. There's no superiority. There's honor and humility for all. It's a beautiful picture that happens in the church. And it's important for us to, to understand that. This would have really been vital for that first century church to understand. And I think it brings us to principle number three. And Paul emphasizes this in verse 25. He says all these things about the body, that there may be no division in the body. Question three, is it of the spirit? Does it exalt Jesus? Does it build up the church? Does it bring unity or division? And so I think we can say, I don't want to talk about other churches or other denominations, but I think we can make this statement with confidence about any church, including ours. If there is one gift in a congregation that is raised above the others, and you say, if this person is exercising and demonstrating this gift, then they're kind of on a higher plane as a Christian. And if you're not yet exercising that gift, you're on a lower plane as a Christian. You are creating division in the church, so I am confident your view of the gifts is not from the Spirit. Because the Spirit brings unity. Paul mentions the words one, same, and all 39 times in this chapter. If your view of any gift brings division, then it's not of the Spirit. We can be confident of that. And that's principle number three. One thing to clarify here before we do a deep dive into unity and the second pass through this text, we are not talking about uniformity. We're talking about unity, very different things, right? We're not talking about everybody looks the same and dresses the same and has the same haircut and has this whole list of extra biblical do's and don'ts. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about unity. Think about it this way. Imagine you have never seen a marching band uh, before. I know we got some band families in here, much respect. I know how dedicated you have to be to do that. But imagine you've never seen a marching band before and you go to a a football game, college game or a high school game and you see this group of people walking out onto the field at halftime and uh, they look the same they got all the same uniforms on they're walking in the same direction in the same formation they come up and they line up in the same formation you might think at that point that the, the goal of this group is uniformity until they start to play And then you look closer and you see they all have different instruments and they're all playing different parts of the music and they're all walking in different directions at different speeds and you wonder why they're not falling all over each other and they're making these intricate formations. It's a a feast for the eyes and the ears. And you realize uniformity isn't the goal at all, it's unity because they're all under one conductor. They're all singing out of the same hymn book, we would say, same music, they all have the same plan They're at the same tempo. It's an apt picture of the church. All this diversity. And yet there's a beautiful unity because there's one conductor. There's one piece of music. There's one plan and purpose. That is the unity and diversity of the church. Not uniformity, but unity. So Paul is going to double down on unity here. Again, 39 times these words he uses. And he starts it off in a beautiful way in verse 4, 5, and 6 again. Varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all. And if, you, if, you know, if you've read the, the, the writings of Paul in the past, you probably understand that when he's talking about Lord there, he's talking about Jesus. And when he uses the word God, he's talking about God the Father. And so you see the symmetry of this. He's saying, whether you're talking about the, the spirit or, the, or Jesus, or God the Father. It's, it's one God, one purpose in the diversity of all of these gifts. And likely, the church in Corinth was raising, emphasizing the work of the Spirit over the work of the other two, uh, which Paul was confronting. And probably good for us to, to remember that as well. We should not overemphasize uh, one, one part of the Godhead over the others, nor should we underemphasize the work of the Spirit either. And so Paul is confronting this with this beautiful picture of the unity of the Godhead here, Father, Son, and Spirit in the diversity of the gifts that they're giving. So this is what we see in the unity of gifts. We can be sure that there is unity because it all comes from the same giver. And I'll love this quote on this unity. This is not accidental unity like people on a bus or forced unity like students in a classroom or unity by affinity like fans of a team. This is unity by design. Each member is gifted for a purpose and performs each part for the good of the whole. Ah, oh, I love that. You know what that means? That means that God has designed the body intentionally. Look at the words, the intentional words just in these few verses. Verse 11, he apportions to each one individually as he wills. Verse 18, he arranged the members in the body each one has he chose. Verse 24, he composed the body. Verse 28, he has appointed in the church. You see the intentionality of that? You know what that means? That if you're here as a member of this congregation, whether you were born into this church like I was, or you were just driving by one day and thought, I wonder what they're about, you are not here by accident. You are here for a specific purpose. God has designed this body on purpose. If you are here and you're part of this congregation, you are here on purpose, do you know what your purpose is? Do you know how you're to be serving this congregation? Each and every one of us is vital to this church. And and we see that in the the fact that there is one giver. I think we see here then the fourth principle as well. In these, these intentional words that we see often in this chapter, that when God is involved, when the spirit is involved, Jesus is going to be exalted. The church is going to be built up. There's going to be unity and not division. And there's going to be order and not chaos. Again, something he was dealing with in the early church. They were These things they were bringing in the church were creating disorder and chaos. Well, not so if you have one giver. And again, this is against the backdrop of many gods. Can you imagine what the pagan temples were like with all these gods competing against each other? Uh, You know, Paul is saying, nope, one God, there will be order in the church, not competition. And so uh, the same giver ensures unity. The second thing we see is that it's the same purpose. And we've already seen that in the diversity, but we see that this is not just the body, it's the body of Christ. It's intended to exalt him. It's intended to serve him. We see it's for the common good again. It's to take care of each other. We say this um, in our church, which just matches up pretty well, thankfully, that we, our, our, our purpose is to exalt Jesus, to edify and encourage each other, and to engage the world with the gospel. One purpose, because it comes from one source. And I think, and again, this, this speaks to the Corinthian culture of many gods, and every one of those gods had a different purpose. Now, Paul is like one God, One purpose. There's going to be order, not chaos. And then the last principle I think we see from this is that there's going to be clarity and not confusion. He's going to hit this hard in chapter 14. But again, we see these intentional words, portions, arranged, composed, appointed. He emphasizes the gifts of, of wisdom and knowledge and the teaching gifts. And then he emphasizes interpretation of the tongues. Paul is really concerned with clarity in the church because if it comes from God, it's not gonna bring uh, confusion. It's going to bring clarity. And so listen, these are useful principles that we can apply to any gift, any ministry in the church. Whether you're observing somebody else's ministry or you're thinking about your own ministry, ask these questions. In my ministry, is Jesus being exalted? Is the church being built up? Is there unity or division? Is there order or chaos? Is there clarity? or confusion. And, and let me show you um, where this can be helpful in maybe some difficult conversations about the gifts. The, the most common question about spiritual gifts is the, the question that do, do all the gifts that were normative in the first century, do all those gifts, have all those gifts continued uh, to today or have certain gifts ceased? And there's a, th- that, that question has been debated for centuries. I doubt we're going to solve it in the next three minutes. But listen, here's how the principles help. Right? Let's start with what we know. Here's what we know about the gifts from the first century. There are certain gifts that we can affirm through the Scriptures that were, that were normative and common in the first century, that even as the New Testament was written, the books that were written later, we see certain gifts waning, even in the New Testament, but if you look over 2000 years of church history, it's, it's very clear that certain gifts are not as normative today as they were in the first century. And that, that actually makes a lot of sense, right? Toby talked about this a couple weeks ago with prophecy. right? In the early church, the, the gospel has not yet been established. The New Testament has not yet been completed. Uh, there's not churches everywhere. The, the teaching and works of the apostles had not yet been authorized nor the works of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And so these, these gifts like prophecy, which is the, the um, spontaneous revelation, and these other miraculous gifts were necessary to affirm and confirm and authorize the teachings of the apostles and of Jesus Christ. And once the New Testament was completed, the final revelation was done, some of those things are no longer necessary. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. But listen, even though we can make that statement pretty confidently that there are certain gifts that are not as normative today as as they were in the first century, there's one caution, and I think I can speak for the elders on this because we talked about this a couple weeks ago. What that does not mean is that it's our job in 2023 to dictate to the Holy Spirit what he will or will not do to accomplish his purpose. The Holy Spirit is going to do whatever the Holy Spirit needs to do to accomplish his purpose, to exalt Jesus and to build up the church. And I think that's especially true in places today that that are a lot like the first century where there is no gospel witness, there are no churches, there are no missionaries. And and instead of speaking in hypothetical terms, let me just give you my firsthand account with this. And this is where the principles can help us. This is really connected to, to chapter 12. When we were in India a few years ago, uh, we, uh, we were with, with DBI, uh, Delhi Bible Institute, who we support. And they have these seminaries where men from across northern India come from these villages. And they come to this seminary to be trained to be pastors and then go out to these villages and start a church, the first church in that village. These villages have no gospel witness, no gospel light, no missionaries, no churches. And so they're coming to this seminary and we got to hear their testimonies. And the first question I have, which is probably the same question you have, is if there's no gospel light in these villages, how are people coming to Jesus in the first place? How'd these guys even know about Jesus? And so we listened to their testimonies and and we we started hearing this theme that there was something amazing that happened at the beginning. We heard several guys say, I had a dream and I was confronted with Jesus or a messenger of Jesus that told me that I needed to go learn about Jesus. I need to go find a Bible. There's somebody coming to my village tomorrow that I need to find them and ask them about Jesus. Another guy said, I had a vision. Very similar things. And we're listening to these, these things that are happening. All right? And if somebody walked in here this morning and said, I had a dream, told me to go to Gray Road, we'd probably be pretty skeptical, right? But instead of us raising the hand and say, well, you know, that's not something I'm comfortable with. That's not how we do it in America. That's not how we do it in my church, right? Go back to the principles. Take the emotion and the the debate and the denominations out of it. Go back to the principles. In in this thing, that this man came to this uh, seminary, was in this dream, was Jesus exalted? Yes. Was the church built up? Yes. There were hundreds, if not thousands of churches being planted across North India, when these men came together, was there unity, was there order, was there clarity from everything we could see? Absolutely. And, and, and the other clue is there was lasting change. These men were transformed, left everything to come to be trained as pastors, to go back and probably be under significant danger and persecution to being a witness of Jesus in this village. And so it, I think it's just useful. These principles... They were timely in the first century. They're they're timeless principles today. When you're talking about any gift, right, go back to the principles. They're very helpful. They're very useful, right? So I think it's important that we see that. The last thing we'll talk about briefly is that it's not just the same giver and the same purpose. It's the same power. Verse 6, it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit. You know what that means? This is that honor and humility picture, right? If it's empowered by, the, by the, the spirit, then every gift has honor. If it's empowered by the spirit, well, then every gift has humility because I can't claim any credit for it. And so that beautiful balance of honor and humility in the church comes from an understanding that God is empowering them all. And in light of that, can I encourage you to do something even yet uh, today. If you want to encourage someone who is uh, serving in this church in any capacity, there are three very powerful words that you can use to start your encouragement. All right? And those powerful words aren't, you are awesome, or man, you're, you're so gifted with kids, or whatever. Those three powerful words, if somebody is serving the Lord in order to exalt Jesus and build the church. Those three powerful words are God used you. God used you in my life to encourage me. God used you in my life to challenge me. God used you in my life to teach me or to change me through, through the word. God used man powerful words to use to affirm somebody else's ministry in this congregation. You know that God uses the affirmation of believers? It's one of the things that he uses to affirm people's spiritual gifts. And would you do that this morning? And listen, this doesn't have to be some magnanimous grand gesture. Let let me demonstrate and look around the room here. The first person I saw this morning was Steve Tate. Steve Tate, brother, can I tell you that God uses you to challenge me in your faithfulness, to encourage me that you, you, send, you give me a birthday card every year. I recognize your writing even before I open it. And he challenges me, man, I need to be more mindful of other people. And he probably hates this, he's such a humble guy. But God, I, I appreciate the way God uses you in my life, Steve. I look right across the aisle here, I see Matt and Hannah. Hannah is 41 weeks pregnant. on Mother's Day, and, and they, they, you guys invited us over for dinner after church a couple of months ago, and can I tell you, God used you to encourage us. As we see, you're, you're, you know, you've got this crazy life with, these, with your kids and one on the way, and yet you're, you're stepping up to help in the middle school class, and, and uh, you have such a heart and a passion to serve these kids, and it reminded us of 30 years ago when we were doing that, and we swapped horror stories, and, and, uh, and yet... It, 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 it challenged me to, to have that same passion. I'm a little further along in my journey and to finish well. So I, I'm grateful for how God used you in, in our lives. And, and I could go around the room and do this to just about every one of you. And what keeps going through my mind is, Kevin, shame on me, shame on me for not doing this more. Would you do this would you find somebody today that God has used in your life and, and maybe in the life of your children, encourage them, affirm them this morning, or set an alarm on your phone to do it this afternoon? Before this day is over, would you affirm someone? Listen, it can. let me tell you how this, this act changed my life. 30-plus years ago, my journey with teaching and preaching started with one conversation. A, uh, our former youth pastor Uh, We were already helping in in the youth group. And uh, he came up to me and said, I've been watching you. I've been listening to you. You need to be serving this congregation through teaching. And he said, I'm going to be gone next Sunday, so you're teaching the high school class. And if if you want to encourage somebody to teach, do not start with the high school class. But but as, as I prepared to teach that Sunday, and as I taught that Sunday, which I'm sure was an excruciating experience for those teenagers, uh, I, I discovered a joy and a passion. That I, he saw something in me. I didn't even see it myself. I had no desire to teach at that point. And then once, once he saw that in me and affirmed that in me, it changed the course of my life affirmation can be a powerful thing. It's a, it's a habit that we need to be doing at this church. As Toby has said, it can be transformational in the church. Would you affirm somebody? And it all goes back to the understanding that these gifts are from God anyway, and we should be affirming people that how God is using them in our lives. And, and, and listen, I, I recognize that we've gone through gifts pretty quickly here, and you have probably a lot of questions still, and, and I'll make this offer, I don't care. Um, how many questions you have or how long it takes? Stephen will be up here after the service. <laughs> uh, uh, let, me, let me close with this, uh, this thought. It is Mother's Day, and I look at our, our, our main idea. God gives Christians diverse gifts to unify and serve the church to accomplish his purpose. Um, moms, I know this isn't the typical Mother's Day music you're probably, or this Mother's Day uh, message you're probably wondering what's up with that but uh, you know what I was thinking about this week as I was preparing for this our study back in Exodus uh, through the book of Exodus in chapter 2 when God uh, delivers Moses he's born into slavery born under the sentence of death and God delivers him from the most powerful man on the planet you remember how he did it? not through an army not through a king He did it through the faith of a mom. He did it through the compassion of an adopted mom. I think we can hold on to these same truths, that if God has given you uh, a work to do, including moms uh, raising your children, that he is going to empower you with everything you need uh, to do that job. And you should be encouraged by that, that however your children came to you, God designed and apportioned and appointed your family to come together in the way that it did. And he will give you everything you need uh, to do that work, as hard as it is some days. And remember, you're not alone. You're in this body, right? Please reach out to others who are on your journey or maybe a little further along your journey. And if you are a little further on the journey, please uh, reach out to these young moms that are going through these uh, things that you already went through Pray for them, counsel them, help them. Uh, Be encouraged, moms. You are so vital to this congregation. A congregation is only as strong as its families. And so you are vital to your family and to this congregation. Um, Please know that. Please know that we love you. And uh, enjoy your day today. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your word and how it shows us clearly uh, these truths and um, how you have designed the body. And uh, I pray that each and every one of us will find our place. Uh, to serve in this body, and that you will, you will bless those efforts and just um, unite this congregation and, and grow us and our impacts um, in each other's lives and in this community. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.